Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Uh, but I just I want to take a little bit of time to set this up this morning, but you can have that ready uh, that we will read from there in a couple minutes. Um, this past week has been, uh, there's been a lot going on in the world, in the news. Um, anyone aware of that a little bit? A little bit. There's always a lot going on in the world, um, I think is the first thing to say for us to be aware, not to minimize what's happening now. Uh, but I think it's important to remember that uh, we only see a very small picture of the reality of, of the, the tragedies that occur in our own backyard and around the globe on a daily basis. And so it's important, I think, to remember that, man, there's always a need to pray for the world, pray for a community. But um, we've, we've got uh, some specific things that I just want us to take a minute, couple minutes to pray about, and then it'll, it'll have to do with our, our message this morning. Um, kind of had this random, we have this week in between series. We're starting a new teaching series next week on living together as one, with one another in community, how we love one another, forgive one another, uh, and live in harmony with one another, all from different passages in the New Testament. But this morning, just this is sort of going to set that series up. We didn't plan on this originally, but given everything going on around the world, I, I just wanted us to pray a little bit, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about things happening in the world. Um, obviously, you'll know. Uh, social media, the news, everything has been uh, going abuzz with the tragedy going on, um, the conflict between Hamas and, and Israel. And uh, there's obviously continuing uh, conflict going on in Ukraine with Russia's invasion there. Uh, some of you may not know this. Um, this is really under the radar, talking about things that don't make it under the news, um, that uh, the nation of Azerbaijan has been, uh, with Turkey's support, has actually been uh, infiltrating and invading and taking hostages from Armenia. Uh, we have some Armenian friends that attend our, our Mawa campus that have been sharing with us just some things that have been going on there. Uh, and so there's, there's things all around the world, things in the news, things that are not in the news, and um, it's, it's pretty tragic. And, and so I wanted us to just take a few moments to pray together as a church family, as a community, uh, for Jesus to intervene, for the church that is scattered around these different places of the world to be present in spaces of conflict, to seek reconciliation, to seek peace. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, that, that there were going to be wars and rumors of wars. This wasn't a threat when Jesus said this. Uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise when we experience these kinds of conflicts in the world. Uh, but it, it was just for him a reality for us to understand like some of the, the realities of the world that we would be facing as believers uh, and it's not up for us to up to us to speculate how God's going to work in these things, but for us, it's our responsibility to be peacemakers, like Jesus taught us to be. Blessed are the peacemakers; theirs is the kingdom of God. And so, um, I want us to just pray: pray for a de-escalation of violence in all of these places. Pray for protection uh, for children for those that are weak, for those that are vulnerable. Pray for protection. We don't want even soldiers on either side getting killed. We don't want anyone getting killed. 
War is ugly and gross and messy and does not leave even the victors feeling all that good about themselves sometimes. Ask any veteran, and they'll tell you it's not pretty. So can we just take a minute, and I want to encourage you, would you join your voice out loud, um, and, and I'd like us to just take a few minutes to pray together. Jesus said that wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he's present with us. And, and we need to understand that any time the church gathers, this is essentially the most, and not just our church, I mean any church, this is like the most important town meeting happening in our town right now. Anytime the church gathers to pray, it is the most important meeting happening in that city, in that town, in that neighborhood. Why? Because we're not seeking our own will or because we have the solutions, but because we know the one who does. And so would you just join me and pray for peace uh, in these conflicts, pray, pray for protection for the weak and the vulnerable. Uh, and let's, out loud, I, I want you to join your voices together with the church around the globe praying for peace right now. Blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Lord Jesus, we want to be those who do not uh, be peacekeepers, just to kind of keep the peace, but we want to be peacemakers to bring true reconciliation, Lord. And Lord Jesus, I ask that you would teach us how to be a part of that in whatever way is appropriate for where we live, for where we work. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would protect the peacemakers, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the ground, our, even our alliance denomination workers and friends who are on the ground in Palestine and the West Bank in Jerusalem and the northern and southern parts of the country. All throughout, Lord, we pray that you would use them in this time to bring peace and reconciliation to people far from you. And we pray, Lord, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for spending some time together in prayer. I, it's important that our first and primary response be to come to the Lord. And I, I, think, I think it was Henry Nouwen that says, I'm beginning to realize that much of prayer is grieving. And I think there is something true, especially when there's more uh, violence and, and war and rumors of war and all sorts of injustice that we see. That as Christians, the first thing is, oh, Lord, help. Have mercy. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because it's only in him that we find true peace and true justice. So I, I just want to encourage you with that. But this morning, I, I want to just take a few minutes to talk about how, how we, beyond prayer, how do we engage with these kinds of topics and these kinds of conversations with other people? How do we do that? Any of you figured it out yet? Very difficult, especially, you know, just to use the, this conflict in Israel between Hamas and Israel. This is it's very, very, very complicated. Jill and I have very dear friends that are international workers with the Alliance. They're based in Jerusalem. Other Alliance pastors, Palestinian Alliance pastors that are in the West Bank, that are in Jerusalem. Uh, family, they have family in Gaza. 
Uh, It's very, they would even say, this isn't simple. This is very, very complicated. And here we are on the other side of the world. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I just run into people who just think they have got it figured out. Like, well, let me tell you what needs to happen. This is very clear. And, and there's absolutely things that need to be acknowledged in different ways. But, but how do we walk through difficult conflict as Christians? What does it actually look like? Or how, how do we, I should say, how do we get through conflicts and navigate these and still be Christian on the other side of it is maybe a good way to say it. How many of you find that you can go through a conflict, whether it's a relational conflict or you're throwing in your two cents into a political conflict? You know, we do have Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. You're going to be with all your family. How do you throw your two cents in or how do you engage in those kinds of conflicts and still come out Christian on the other side? Responding in a way that looks like Jesus and represents Jesus the whole way through. How do we engage this upcoming election season as Christians? How do we engage touchy subjects with our neighbors when they come up and remain Christian? You ever wondered about that? That's what I want to talk to you about for a little bit this morning. So let's read Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 14. Uh, I think Jesus has some good, helpful insight for us. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. By the way, tax collector, bad idea, Jesus, don't be around them, okay? They're bad news if you're going to be a true, good Jewish religious leader. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus says to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It's getting worse, Jesus. Back out now. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's the New Living Translations uh, phrase, so we can understand that the, the word tax collectors and sinners is what's actually there in the Greek. And it's a very, they use it derogatory, as a derogatory phrase. It means these disgusting people. How, how, do you, how does your master Jesus eat with such people? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. He wanted these well-educated elite religious leaders to go learn scripture that's really basic and simple. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices, not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to, uh, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Then just this verse 14, it says, One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus gives an answer, but we're going to leave it there. How many of you sometimes feel tired 
of the questions. Why don't you do this? Why don't you talk about this? Why don't you say this? Why are you with those people? Why aren't you posting about this thing? Why aren't you taking a stand about this? Why aren't you talking about this? Why do you say that instead of this? What's your, you know what I'm talking about? Are you exhausted already from hearing that? This is, this is the amen, yeah. This is the, the swirl. And then if, if you spend any reasonable amount of time on social media, some of you, but not, not everyone. It's all over the news on TV too. You, you feel this, like uh, th- this almost expectation that you have to respond to everything. You have to give an answer. You have to, and if you don't say the statement that a certain group of people is looking for, well, then you disagree with me. If you don't look, say, if you can't say the exact thing, or you, you're with these people and you won't do this, or you'll do this, but you won't, everyone's trying to discern which side are you on. In our culture, there's pressure as we live in these kinds of conflicts. There's pressure to define our position. I feel that pressure. As a pastor, I'm sure you feel it too. Oh, you're a Christian. What do you think about this? They want you to just give that, like, one line. They want you to draw that line in the sand. Like, make it clear for me. I'm being a little facetious, but you guys get what I'm saying, right? I'm a little ornery when I talk about this subject, so just bear with me. I'm not actually grumpy. I'm just feeling it this morning. So I get asked the question sometime, yes, Okay, I need to love people. I'm a Christian. I want to stay Christian in conflict. But man, these people are, are doing all these things and saying all these things and they're asking, like, w- w- you know, you, you, you got to speak up or you got to say this or you're letting them do this or you're not doing this. And, and some people will ask me, like, yes, I need to love people, but when am I supposed to take a stand for truth? When do I do that? And there's an assumption in that question that the goal of any kind of conversation, of any kind of moment that I have as a Christian, there's an assumption that the goal is I need to clearly define who is in and who is out by some kind of external sign or phrase or slogan. If I say this, I'm separating these people over here and I'm putting myself over here. If I do this, I'm putting myself in this category versus this category. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. You all live this every day, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So there's an assumption that we have to do that, that there's something I I have to to draw a line in the sand between what they're doing or they're saying and what I'm doing and I'm saying. And that's part of what we believe a lot of times or we assume is part of what it means to be a Christian, to be a good witness of the truth of the gospel. But I'd like to suggest that sometimes when we do that, we actually do damage to the very gospel we're trying to defend. Like I said, sometimes we enter into these conflicts. This is not a don't ever speak the truth to someone kind of talk. That's silly as well. But what I'm saying is sometimes there's a danger if we get into conflict and we don't come out Christian on the other side. Because stating a statement or a slogan or a phrase was more important than being present with the person asking the question. As Jesus puts it, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. 
Political philosophers call these, these slogans, these phrases, these things that we throw out, they call them empty signifiers. Empty signifiers. It's a statement or a phrase that gets emptied of any real meaning or any, any real embodied practice, and it just gets used to draw a line in the sand, to understand if you're on this side or that side. So phrases, any kind of phrase, political campaigns use these statements all the time. They don't really mean anything, and it can mean whatever an individual wants it to mean, and they all rally around it, and they go, yeah, we want this, and see, you guys don't want this. I'm trying to be a little vague because everyone's got their pet empty signifier that they don't realize is an empty signifier. We all lived through one kind of recently, actually. Are you mask or no mask? And it didn't, it, after a while, do you realize it stopped having anything to do with whether you put a mask on or not? It meant you had this whole political ideology. That meant you were for this and against this, and you believed in science, you didn't believe in science. And it, you could have all of those beliefs, you could not. But it got emptied of the real meaning of, are you putting a mask on or not? That's what an empty signifier is. It's these loaded phrases, statements, or words that draw lines in the sand and pit you against another person. Polarizing, it's a great word for it. And there's an endless number of these kinds of stances that we feel the pressure to take on in our society. And sometimes as Christians, we're like, I'm supposed to stand for truth, right? And we just use those same phrases that the world's using or our own versions, but it's the same thing the world's doing. Throwing a phrase out, throwing a stance out when we may not have any lived reality of that in our own day-to-day experience. Are you following me? These are empty signifiers. This is what the world uses to determine if you are righteous or not. And so we as Christians have kind of adopted that in the, in the West in particular. And everyone had their, if you don't wear a, ma- a mask, there was a sense of righteousness among those people. If you do wear a mask, they had this sense of righteousness among those people. And I'm really not here to argue the science back and forth. Thank God COVID's kind of done in that sense. Praise the Lord. But the pressure to get on the right side of history or to have the right opinion. It's beyond the church. Like, we feel this in our culture. Like, are you saying the right thing? Are you correct? Are you right? Are you wrong? Are you just? Are you unjust? And this is what Jesus and his disciples were facing here in Matthew 9. Why are you eating with those people and not these people? Why are you not fasting when we fast? All of these external signs that were being used to try and Get a sense of, are you on our side or on their side? I, I, need to, I need to kind of figure out where you are, Jesus. Disciples, I need to figure out where you are. These were political and religious groups that were asking these questions. John the Baptist's disciples, the Pharisees, these were uh, quasi-political religious groups. And, and they needed to know, do you align with us or not? Do you align with our position, our opinion, or not? And so John's disciples, they were really well known. They were, they were, very, uh, they were like aesthetics in, in this way of very rigorous, kind of almost like Greek Stoics. Very serious. They were from the Essene community. The end was coming, and they're wearing like, uh, you know, camel hair. This is what John the Baptist wore. And he ate locusts, and his hair got really long. They were like, the end is nigh. Like, it's the person wearing like the sandwich board out in the corner. And this is like part of, and this was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Like, this wasn't some like random guy he wasn't associated with. 
But it, that was like John's very specific call for something. But these disciples of John the Baptist took on this whole thing. And they were really like empty signifiers for them. Wait, we fast all the time waiting for the Messiah to come. Why aren't you guys fasting? Aren't you righteous? And the Pharisees are trying to say, we, we need to purify ourselves from the contamination of the Roman Empire and the Gentiles. And they're sitting here going like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to be more careful about who you're hanging out with. People are going to get the wrong idea. You might be approving of their life. They were looking for these empty signifiers, external signs of Jesus' righteousness, of the disciples' righteousness. This is, we had these, uh, there's an old, I don't know if anyone grew up like old school Baptist or Presbyterian, uh, maybe not Presbyterian actually, but old school Baptist, they would say, you can't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. I can't believe they really said that back in the day, but people said that. Uh, more, more updated language would be like, be careful who your friends are. Now, now, there's some good wisdom in, like, we need to be mindful that we get influenced by people around us. That's very true. But it goes farther than that to say, hey, who you hang with, who you are around, the things you do do or don't do, the statements you will say or won't say, we're, like, this defines whether you're righteous or not, is what people are saying. This is the, the struggle of, like... What do I do? I got to show them. No, I'm righteous. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm a devout, faithful Christian. I, you feel that pressure. I've got to do the certain things or say these things or don't say these things. See, Jesus, this one example with fasting, Jesus is an anti-fasting. He says, no, they're going to fast. It's just the problem is fasting isn't what they're supposed to do right now. They'll practice fasting when it's time to practice fasting, but, but don't use that to pit one side against the other to compare whether this person's righteous or this person's not. All this does is create enemies. I'm for you or I'm against you. You agree with this, you don't agree with this. And, and Jesus' response to all of these is, I think, really wrapped up in verse 13. Go and learn what the meaning of this scripture is. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. I've not come to call those who think they're righteous, who think they know which signifiers to use at which times and which places. I've come for those who know they've got problems. And man, do they need mercy. And all of us need to be extending that mercy. Jesus is so brilliant at getting past these like antagonisms, these like pitting this side against that side kind of idea. Now, if, if people make enemies of Jesus because he avoids those kinds of things, so be it. But that's their choice. But Jesus isn't going to create enemies by throwing out those phrases or practices. Does that make sense? People dig in their heels by their choice. But Jesus isn't going to draw the line in the sand on them. What he's going to do is live out of mercy for people because they're sick and they need a doctor. Can you imagine if a doctor only spent their time around the people who didn't need him? You're kind of a useless doctor, aren't you? What do you, what do you even do? They're not practicing. They just throw out phrases, empty signifiers. They throw out nice tropes about 
being healthy and what medicine you could use if this or this happened. But if everyone's just healthy and righteous and not, they're just going along with it. There's no need for that doctor. It's just a bunch of empty signifiers. There's nothing embodied in what he's offering. He's not facing real issues in people's lives. And it's the same here. You, you know, you could just say you're righteous and think you're righteous. It's just like offering sacrifices. There's just two, two things here, sacrifices and mercy. See, sacrifices are performed. Sacrifices are totally external. Sacrifices, they served a purpose. They needed to do this in, in keeping with the Old Testament, right? But, but they're, they're offering these animals on the altar. They, they might pray out loud for us. Like a sacrifice might look like saying a certain phrase or a statement or making sure we pray loud, out loud or come to worship or serve regularly, even sacrificially. Uh, it might be taking a stance on a particular issue, posting on your social media one thing or another, uh, saying a certain thing in a conversation, standing up for truth. All of these external signs, external performances of righteousness, these are sacrifices. But you see, mercy, like a doctor who spends time around sick people, mercy is embodied. Mercy is embodied. We live out mercy in our daily practice of being with those who are not righteous. We live out mercy by daily tending to the people around us that need God to break into their lives. We embody mercy when we are extending the love of Jesus to those that do not know that they are loved. We're not trying to make sure they hear truth. We actually embody the truth. Not just trying to make sure they hear truth. And what I mean by that is they're not just like hearing a throwaway phrase. We want them to see the truth of Jesus and how we treat them. And then we begin to ask questions. Hey, where does this come from in your life? What's, what's going on with that? What's, what's, what's happening with this? Where do you think that comes from? Why do, you, why do you think you keep behaving that way? Why do you think you keep spiraling into that pattern? And as we extend mercy, and we're not just, hey, you know, you need to stop that. We begin to unpack this stuff with people. They go, oh. You know, when, when you are present with people, extending mercy, unpacking the stuff of their life, Jesus begins to break in and heal in a way that human words like those empty signifiers cannot do. Like I said at the beginning, this is not a we never say true things to people, but we need to make sure that our speaking truth doesn't leave us not acting like Christians on the other side. You following me? This is difficult and challenging. I, I find this very challenging. Uh, our, our kind of Western brains are sort of very like, it, it is or it isn't. Like, we're very black and white a lot of times in our thinking, right? It's, it's, it's hard to kind of, kind of just sit with someone, right? And, and be like, man, these things have got to change in their life. And you're thinking that to themselves, like, this is destructive for them. And, and, and so we're sitting here going like, man, how do I, how do I help? How do we help them? But if, but if we just kind of, you, you have those people in your life that are just maybe like they've been through a lot. And if you just fired off stuff at them, you'd lose them. 
you'd lose them. How do we extend mercy to our neighbors? How do we embody mercy to those around us, to those we don't agree with? Who do you need to extend mercy to instead of posturing with more empty signifiers? Now, here's, here's where I go, when is, is if I'm going to not use those empty signifiers, tell me if this makes sense to any of you, if I'm suddenly not gonna use those statements or I'm not gonna just say the thing so they know where I stand on something and I'm gonna sit with them and ask questions and listen and hear their story, how many of you are like me where you're gonna feel this tension of like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Do you know what I'm talking about? So I, I, I wanna introduce you to this idea that I find really helpful. Because I, I, my biggest concern is, if I'm showing mercy to someone, are they just gonna think I agree with everything they do? How many of you have children? How many of you have children? How many of you have young children you like to be around? Some of you? Some of you are like, I do not like to be around children at all. That's, that's fine. But a lot of us, or how, how many of you have a, a, a close friend that you enjoy spending time with? I think most everyone does. Okay. With this close friend and, and with children, do you agree with everything that child does or that your close friends do? Why on earth are you with them still? Isn't that just reinforcing that you agree with everything they do? That's, that's even more hard. You're, 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 that's even more complicated. Adult children too. But do you hear what I'm saying? Why would we do? Why would we think differently with other adults? than we do with children. I know they're children, so they're like learning. So we assume adult adults should know better. But really. Do you know better all the time? I don't know better all the time. I'm learning too. Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, association is not affirmation. Association is also not non-affirmation. Did I say that right? Double negative in there. To be with someone just means you are with them. That's all it means. But what happens when things get politicized is, oh, if you are with them, like Jesus with the sinners and the tax collectors, if you're with them, it must mean something about your theology. If you're with them, it must mean something about your agreement with them or disagreement with them. And, and this happens, I believe, because we have stopped seeing other people as sacred, created in the image of God, and we've started to see them as uh, things, objects that we need to coerce or influence or convince to just do what we think is best. Uh, Martin Buber is a, a Jewish philosopher. His, his ideas uh, of the I-thou relationship, I think, are really helpful. Some of you have taken emotionally healthy spirituality, know what we're talking about. But Pastor Pete Scazzaro, he, he picked up on this idea, and, and I find it really helpful is he talks about the difference between having relationships with people that are I-thou relationships versus I-it relationships. And in an I-thou relationship, you see every other human being around you as a thou, someone who is made in the image of God, someone that God has given the ability to make decisions and they get to be responsible and accountable for their decisions. 
just like you do. Everyone is given this gift of life on earth by God. And when we can recognize that everyone is responsible for their own uh, decisions, that they have a unique and separate existence apart from us, it can change the way we interact with them. Because if I go to Jillian and I treat her as a thou, can I use you as an example real quick? Is that cool? On the spot. You can't say no. Yeah, I'm coercing you. You're right. It was an I-it relationship right there. That's what not to do. Um, but if I, see, I ask though, right? I don't have to if you don't want me to. Okay. Uh, but there's a power dynamic. We're not going to get into that right now here. She's kind of like, what's she going to do? Say no? She could. She would. She would. I'm not worried about it. I know she would say no. Uh, but in an I-thou relationship, like with, with my wife, with a friend, with someone who disagrees with you, uh, when we recognize that they get the gift I know this is strange. This is from the Psalms. The, the, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? They get the gift. Jillian gets the gift of developing and forming her own behaviors, beliefs, convictions, whether they are accurate reflections of God's truth or not. This is the rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God gives life to everyone, whether they choose to follow him or not. That is love. That's what love is. Now, if I were to, if I recognize the I-thou relationship in my wife, or if I recognize the I-thou relationship with any of you, if you recognize that I-thou relationship, you recognize you can be present with someone, be with them, ask questions, even say, oh, I don't really think I agree with that. But you understand that your role is not to coerce them or force them or convince them that they are wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is so, so important because when it's I, thou, we're not trying to change people into what we see fit. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions. It doesn't mean we can't speak our opinions and our thoughts to them. But we recognize that we're not here to be their brain. We're not here to be their conscience. God has given them that gift because they are human just like you. You don't want someone doing that to you, do you? Do unto others, Jesus said, as you would have them do unto you. So that's the I thou. The I it, however, we don't differentiate between their sacredness and ours as image bearers of God. We don't differentiate between uh, appropriate limits. We get enmeshed with people. We, We treat them as objects, the same as we would a car or a toothbrush. Hey, I need this, you need to do it. Hey, you can't think that way. Hey, I need to tell you you're wrong. The person becomes an object because we do not consider that they have a responsibility to make their own decisions before God and that they have to be accountable themselves before God. This is where love and mercy truly enters in. Because if you, you can then be present with someone in an I-thou relationship where you don't have to force them to believe what you believe. You don't have to try and get them to your side, quote-unquote. Because you recognize that's not your responsibility. But what is your responsibility is how you interact with that person. So just to put all this very, very simply... You can go to that next slide there. This is it. 
We are responsible for our behavior. Others are responsible for theirs. I love that little trickle of amens. That was fun. You are responsible for your behavior. They are responsible for theirs. This is a core principle of how Christians navigate conflicts and come out Christian on the other side. If you throw out empty signifiers trying to take a stand, what you have done is you've tried to take coercive action to try and get them to agree. And if they don't agree, well, you're on that side now. Empty signifiers are I-it relationships. It's a cutting off. Mercy creates I-thou relationships. And when you are embodying the mercy of Jesus, it is in mercy relationships that the gospel can be preached. My friends, I can't say this enough. If we do not consider I-thou relationships, embodying mercy in the things we say, the things we post, the things we communicate, we are making unnecessary enemies of the kingdom. Now, will there be enemies of the kingdom? Absolutely. I am not saying there are not enemies. But what we would do by engaging in this is making unnecessary enemies of God's kingdom. Do you hear me? I'll just share this story because this is, this is the gospel at work. When we can learn how to do I-thou relationships in conflict, when we can extend mercy, there's space for reconciliation. There's space for God to do stuff that there wasn't that wasn't there before. Someone in our church just shared this with me last week. Uh, they had a family member. And uh, their family member had done some things that were a little shady uh, with some, some other things in their family. It was causing a very strained relationship. And, and recently, she just, she just shared that um, this, this family member, they reached out to them and were like, hey, listen, I, I, I want to talk about us in our relationship. Would you be willing to do that? Paraphrasing a little. I believe this was the part that got me. I believe God can shed some light on our relationship. What do you think? And they're gonna set up a time to spend time together. And it was so simple, but I thought, wow. They just preached the gospel to their family member. They didn't go, here's where you were wrong, take the moral high ground, this needs to change, and I, this was unacceptable, and you need to come around and say you're sorry to everyone else. They could have done that. They had the moral high ground in a lot of ways. But to approach it from an I-thou space of, I don't like that there's this gap in our relationship. opening up with mercy, and then saying, I believe God can enter into this. Are you willing to explore that? See, someone, as soon as you say, I believe Jesus wants to enter in here, are you willing to explore that? What they're saying on some level is, yeah, I'm willing to submit to Jesus on some level here. 
They might not understand all the implications of that for their life. Are you all with me on this? Following me? But that God's doing something there. Okay, let's see what God wants to do. And my prayer for that, that specific instance is that reconciliation can happen. That forgiveness can happen. That's the kingdom of God at work in people. But it doesn't happen when we take the moral high ground and draw the line in the sand. So here's my question to you. How might we be given? How might we be giving into empty signifiers? The empty signifiers of the world at the expense of I-thou relationships. How might you be giving into those at the expense of what Jesus said? Showing mercy, not offering sacrifices. This is a complex world. We need to be able to be present to people in order to understand the particularities of their situation. This is why Jesus was sitting around the table with tax collectors and sinners. That's how he was able to walk them out of those spaces and places. That's how Matthew came to follow him. But it's going to take a lot of courage. So I invite the worship team to come up. We're going to take communion in just a minute. If uh, anyone needs communion, that they want, if they want to take communion with us, could you just put your hand up? If you did not get communion from the back, if you'd like to take communion. Would you stand with me? These are the worst things to open in the world. I'm going to have a conflict over these. Go and learn what this means. The Lord requires mercy, not sacrifices. It's hard to do this. People are going to do exactly what these Pharisees did. They're going to question your faith. You're in very good company. Jesus was questioned too. So we read the words of the Apostle Paul, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, 
the Lord took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of the wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Can we, I'm sorry, I did not ask if we could do this before. Can we sing that second song again that you guys sang earlier? That bridge, remember that our God has made a way. Can we sing that one? There's so many conflicts we are all facing, family conflicts, international conflicts, neighbor conflicts. And I, I just, as we were singing this, this bridge of this song earlier, I was just wanting us to be called to remember. Remember that our God has never failed us. Remember that his cross has made a way. Remember that it's through that self-giving love of Jesus that he will make a way in every one of these conflicts. Can we just sing to him before we close? Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.